Excellent. So this week's parsha is parsha Kisisa, and our learning today should be Ischos for Rafu Shlema for Yitzchak ben Yochever. Um, if anybody else uh, has a um, a name for a Yeshua, any sort of salvation, please yeah. uh, let me know. We can learn as Ischos uh, for yeah. for Klai. So okay, go ahead, Linda. It should also be a schus for Freda Bas Bracha, Bez Hashem. Okay. Okay. Alright, let's get going over here. So, Parshas Ki Sisa. We are almost, we're on the second half of uh, Sefer Shmais. Alright, so Parshas Ki Sisa. We have the low light, unfortunately, of a big event of what took place in Klai Yisrael, which is the Chet Ego. The sin of the golden calf, and I would like to spend some time um, focusing on that, and we'll get into that by starting our parsha. So here we go, chapter thirty, Paraglamid, pasuk Yeralef, verse eleven. By Yedaber Hashem al Moshe Lemar, Hashem spoke to Moshe Lemar to say over. Whenever it says Lemar, it doesn't mean saying; it really means that Moshe is being commanded to say the following. So, what is Moshe commanded to do? Says verse twelve, pasuk yudbeis, kisisa es rosh bnei yisrael. Now this is a pasuk that is it is really not possible to translate this literally in English because it won't make sense. So I'm going to translate it the way that Art Scroll probably translates it, and then we'll translate it what it really means, not to bash Art Scroll. Art Scroll gives us the context, but we'll translate each word. So kisisa es rosh bnei yisrael in context means when you count the children of B'nai Yisrael. When you take a census of the nation, the words literally mean, ready for this? When you lift up the heads of B'nai Yisrael. Okay? Sisa is from the word naso, to carry a burden. Esrosh, the heads of the B'nai Yisrael. All right? So in context, it means take a census or take numbers, but the words literally translates to when you lift up the heads of the Bnei Yisrael, lifkudayim, according to their numbers, vinasnu, and this is a big word throughout the Torah, vinasnu. Uh, I'm going to need some help. Unfortunately, I did not listen too well in uh, language arts. It's a word that, it, the, the word race car could be read the same backwards and forwards. What's that called? Like a palinindrum or something, right? Like a polydrum. Thank you. So the word vinasnu, the word vinasnu vav nun saf nun vav could be read frontward and backward, which which teaches us, and this is a famous idea. This is the word in the Torah that teaches us that when you give, it comes right back like a boomerang. Vinasnu. It could be read frontwards or backwards. You think you're giving to the other person. It could be read backwards as well. Really, whatever you give to another person, it's coming right back to you. So what are we giving? Ish, each man. So this verse is telling us the census over here did not include females. It only included males. Kofar nafsho, an atonement for his soul. We're going to learn soon that the males are also only referring to the age of 20 to 60. It's those who were drafted into the army. Bifgodo sum when they are counted, there won't be a plague when you count in the following way. What does this mean? So Rashi kicks in and teaches us that you're not allowed, this verse teaches me, you're not allowed to count Jews by numbers. It leads to an ayin hara. 
Okay, it's an ayin hara to count to count things by numbers, which is fi- why you'll find whenever you have a room full of people, people don't say when they're counting how many people you have, they're not going to say uh, one, two, three. People have their own shtick of what they do. I hear people saying not one, not two. I see people uh, counting yamakas. I see people counting uh, left pinkies. One guy walked into shul to count. A guy wanted to count a minion. And he's like looking around the room and he starts making a bracha. I was like, what are you doing? He's, he walks into shul. He's looking around. It's like five minutes till mincha. He says, I said, do you need a piece of bread? Like, what's your, what's your deal? He says, no, there's 10 words in the bracha. Baruch atah Hashem alakeinu melech ha'olam ha'motzi lechem min ha'aretz. So he makes ha'motzi whenever he wants to count 10 men. Whenever <laughs> he wants to count 10 men. Really? Everyone's got their own shtick. <laughs> Whatever you can do. I don't know what he made up. <laughs> it's not my business. I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, you're saying a bracha over something that you're... Well, well he didn't say Hashem's name. It's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but okay. Any, any verse that's got 10 words... But, but what's the source of it? So the source of it is this Pasuk. The second Pasuk in our parsha is not to count people by numbers. But Hashem is promising Moshe Rabbeinu that um, when you count by using half shkalim, which we're about to see is how we were counted, there's not going to be a plague. The only time there's ayin is when you count the people themselves. When you do something that's a little bit different from the person, that takes away from... And I and her, and I think there's something so profound in this. And I don't know if I'm right on this, it's my own thought. And here's what I was thinking. And I'll give you the background as to why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. What, what makes an Ayanhara? How does Ayanhara work? He be GB, like what is this? Okay? So Ayanhara means a bad eye. Bad eye. So we know. That as Torah Jews, we're not supposed to walk around flaunting ourselves, our things, in front of others. It's not the Torah way. It is the Torah way to be impressive, to be mechubedek, honorable, noble, put together. But to like be out there and flaunt something... That leads to an ayin hara. So, for example, this comes up. An ayin hara is going to depend. Um, we know this in Prekiyavos. What community you live in? If you live in a community where, let's say, a particularly fancy car, okay, is the norm in that community, so then you don't need to be concerned about an ayin hara. That's the societal standards of where you live. However, if you live in a community where societal standards are different, so then by purchasing this object, even if it's within one's means, which is really, you know, in general, what all we're expected to do is to live within our means. And if a person could afford it, why not? So the answer is because if the society you're in, this is above and beyond what's normal, then it could lead to an Ayanhara. Okay, so that's that's the line. Sometimes we like I'm, I'm trying to explain over here, articulate. There's a line between everybody else minding their own business, and me being sensitive to not over you know uh, overdoing it. This is an interesting uh, question that comes up when it comes to let's say um, weddings, bar mitzvahs, 
big affairs. You'll, have, you'll hear, you know, you'll hear people saying, "Oh, what they did! They they spent a uh, hundred thousand dollars in one night, and it was it was too fancy." And right, a whole thing. You know something? If the person's worth fifty million dollars, and they want to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a big night in their life. They have absolute rights to do so, and everybody else can mind their own business. Right? Their responsibility is to live within their means. My responsibility is to live within my means. It's not my business what they decide, what somebody else decides to do with his money. Why am I judging and saying, oh, they have no right to do that? We have to realize that the onus on each of us is to live within our means. And I shouldn't feel pressure just because somebody's doing something within their means to do something outside of my means. That's on me. I shouldn't fall for that. Yet, there's another compartment, and this is very practical in how we live our lives and, and amongst people. There's another compartment here, and that is separate to the onus of living within one's means is also the, there's like a safety net. And that is, Hashem says, when, some, when you have something that I give you as a gift, there's a way I intend for you to use it. And that way is in an impressive way, but not in a flaunting way. And in a flaunting way, then it can lead to heart. but that's on me. That's on me. To just not flaunt my things in, um, in, you know, in front of others. So what are we articulating here? What are we clarifying here? Here's where I want to take this. Here's where I want to take this. Why is there an eye in Hara? When you count a person, because really people are too special to count. We're too valuable. It's like putting something of such value into a number, like, this is what I am. I, people are too precious for that, to give them a number. And when you focus, when the focus is on the soul, which is a chelakaloka each and every one of us, is, a, is a, a breath of Hashem, where we come directly from God, to count that is like something so valuable, like take, it, take a step back, like don't even go there right now. You know, like it's too chashuv. Each human being is like, too, it's too much. Okay? So what do we do? We, we kind of move the focus off of the person and onto a half coin. And we say not one, not two. Whatever we want to do, but we're taking the focus off of the person because what Ayin Hara shows is how chashuv, how valuable and how important each of us are in our essence. If we count ourselves, it's like flaunting. So we like do a little bit to the side. Not, you know, a little bit, however people want to do it, but take the Ayin Hara and, uh, and move it off a little bit. So the next passage tells us why, do you ha- why did we take a half shekel? Um, it says we, we each give a half shekel. Why is it a half shekel? So the Bali Musr teach us, the Musr uh, leaders teach us that um, it's always important, and this is a very basic idea for every Jew to know, not only our individuality, which is learned out from the last Pasuk of Ayin Hara, but also that we're never really fully complete without the rest of Klal Yisrael. Every Jew has these two parts. The importance of being special and unique at the same time, I give a half a shekel. I don't give a whole shekel. I don't give a complete coin. I give a half coin. Because I realize I'm always p- 
part of something bigger, which takes humility, but actually it's even comforting because it doesn't, it doesn't force us to, to shoulder the, you know, the, the full burden of something. Just to quote my mother, whenever people would uh, talk to her about her, uh, her family, her children, um, and she would say, I don't take the credit and I don't take the blame. It's not me. I don't take that. There's three parts to a person. Every person comes from a father, a mother, and Hashem. So she says, I did my part. I tried my best. And there's two other partners. I leave it up to them to do their best too. God's got this. I leave it up to my husband. That's it. I don't, I'm not shouldering all this. There's a comforting element to knowing, yeah, I have an important role, yet there, there's, other, there's help out there. I don't need to get overwhelmed by everything. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a part of something bigger. There's something bigger out there that I can lean on, that I can rely upon for, you know, that I can rely upon uh, for help. And this comes up, you know, God forbid, if ever there's an illness or something going on. Um, you know, I know from my own uh, immediate family, it's a, it's a very delicate balance to know when to keep it private, when to keep it personal. We're all entitled to our personal, um, you know, Things are meant to be kept private. But at what point do we flip the switch and say, there's privacy, but I'm also part of Klal Yisrael? Let people daven for them. Let people daven for my child, my mother, my father, myself. We're part of something bigger. I don't need to, be, I don't need to go through this alone. And there's, I'm sure each and every one of us who care about others, there's always this struggle in our minds like, how much should I share? I don't want people to be worried about me, them, whatever. Yet at the same time, knowing people, people can help me. People want, people want to be able to, to daven. And this is a beautiful, like a, uh, call it a transition or a beautiful idea that's being formed in these two verses. Because notice again, in verse 12, we're speaking about the power of each individual Jew to a point of ayin hara. And then in verse 13, it says, but a half shekel. Because as important as we are, we're not the whole. There's a whole out there. Somebody else will give a half shekel, now I'll have a whole shekel. But I can't do this all on my own. I can't schlep this all through by myself. Okay. Now, these half shekelim were used to anchor, to build the mishka. Now, why was it used to anchor and to, uh, in the building of the Mishkan? The verse tells us that the half shekel obligation was exact for everybody. If you were wealthy, you were not allowed to give more than a half a shekel. What do you mean? I can afford 5,000 shekel. Forbidden. You're not allowed. The Rambam actually rules this is one of the, neg- of, of one of the negative commandments in the Torah, one of the 613 mitzvahs is that a wealthy person is not allowed to give more. And a poor person is not allowed to give less. This is so fascinating. Why? Because when it comes to the Mishkan, when it comes to building Hashem's structure, there's no Jew who could look at another Jew and say, I did this more than you. I got this done more than you were able to. Everybody gives equal amount. Rabbi Friend has a, a speech where he speaks about first class syndrome. Where there's a wonderful, you know, there's a wonderful midah out there to always want to give more. 
But included in that midah, included in that character trait, is I'm also going to get more, I'm, I'm going I'm to be mortised, I'm, I'm going to be noticed more than anybody else. So a yid at times needs to learn, I'm just, I'm part of the crew. I'm part of the club. I'm, I'm, I'm along here with everybody else. No first class. Everybody's doing the exact same thing. And that's an important midah to work on as well. Yes, go ahead. Uh, first of all, we forgot to record. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Second of all, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I forgot to remind earlier. Yeah, no problem. Okay, go um, ahead. So is this related, this half shekel uh, and not giving more, is this related to um, the requirement of giving uh, 10% miser? And is there... Um, um, is is miser ten percent? Is that a minimum or is that a maximum? So this is com- good question. This is completely different than miser. This okay. is this is what you'd call Jewish overhead. Okay, <laughs> this is and and you know your, your point you're bringing up is actually very important for this time of year. I'll tell you why. Matanos le'avyonim Purim's coming up. Okay, Purim is coming up. What is it? Four weeks from today. Right? Yeah, four weeks from today is Purim, Wednesday night, Thursday. There's a mitzvah on Purim to give Matanos Le'avionim. Matanos Le'avionim is money to two people who could use financial help. Now, how much money needs to be given for Matanos Le'avionim? So different poskim will give different opinions. I would, I venture to say here in America, it's anywhere between $2.50 and $10. And I'll tell you why. Because the amount that you give for tzedakah on Matanas Lavionim has to be the amount that a poor person can purchase a meal, a Purim meal. So if you think about it, a bagel is what, a dollar? So you buy a bagel, you put on a few pieces of deli, and they have their meal. Okay, so what is it? $2 for 50 cents, $3. Some people say, okay, you know, a cone sub sandwich might cost $10, $15. Okay, fine. So I want to give on Purim. I want to be generous. I want to give $1,000 to the poor on Purim. I want to give $100. I want to give $50,000. Am I allowed to use miser? So here's the answer. According to halacha, the initial amount is very practical. The initial amount of matanus le'avionim, let's say the minimum is $3. So I have to give, since I need to give two poor people, $6 cannot come from miser because it's called a pre-existing obligation on me. But anything that I give over the $6, because I'm in the mood to be generous today, I absolutely can use my miser money with. Okay? The same holds true with, with uh, the half shekel. The half shekel here is an obligation on males between the age of 20 and 60 to donate their half shekel. This was not allowed to be taken from miser. This was an expense. This was like called paying for lunch. It's part of being Jewish. Um, Anything, uh, and miser itself is a completely different, uh, completely different obligation. Now you had a question on miser itself. 10% miser, is that the maximum you can give? You shouldn't give more? So miser means 10th. By definition, miser means 10th. So it's not less. You're allowed to give up to 20%. The Gemara, the the Gemara frowns on somebody who gives more than 20% of their of their net profits annually to tzedakah 
unless the Gemara gives two, two uh, um, exceptions and they both really fall into the same category. Unless the person knows that they have enough money to take care of themselves until the, naturally until their day of death. Okay. okay. So if somebody's exceedingly wealthy, then they know that if they give 70% to tzedakah, they still have enough that according to nature they'll be supported. They're permitted to give more than the 20%. If you don't have that, you're not allowed to. Similarly, the Gemara says if somebody is on their deathbed, they know they're on their deathbed, and they realize they've got a few days left. So they're allowed to give away 90%. They give away as much as they want because they realize they don't need it anymore. That's it. You know, there's, uh, so the, the answer to your question is you're not allowed to give less than 10 and you're also, and this is such a hush of idea from our sages, so brilliant. You're not allowed to give more than 20 because you know why? If you do, that's called, that's called, that's not called being generous. That's called uh, being not smart. Because you're putting yourself into a situation now where you may need to come onto Miser and that doesn't help anybody. And this applies, we've, we've spoken about this, you know, especially the group here as women who, who anchor down Klau Yisrael. It, there's a very important message here in Tzedakah and outside of Tzedakah. And that is, if I don't take care of myself first, everybody loses. That's, that's, that's the message here. If I'm a shmata, if I'm a dishrag, and I'm not functioning in my own house, and I'm not there, I lose, and everybody loses. I'm not, I'm not doing chesed anymore. I'm done with all this. So there's, a, there's a, a very important, underlying, beautiful lesson in life of, you know, not only tzedakah here, a giving, you know, not giving more than 20, but also how to be a giver. It's teaching us how to be a giver. A person's only a giver if you have what to give. If you don't have what to give, everybody loses. Okay. Fine. Let's keep going over here. Great, uh, great, great point. So we're going to move ahead a little bit. And uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to want to bring this idea full circle when we move back. I'm going to skip, but then Bez Hashem will bring it back to the beginning of this year as well and see how this all comes, uh, how this all comes full circle. Um, so in Perak Lamed Aleph, in chapter 31, Pasuk Yud Ches, verse 18. So... We, uh, this is where Moshe Rabbeinu has the luchos. So the, the verse tells us, Hashem spoke to Moshe, Hashem gave it to Moshe when he finished speaking with him. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up on Harsinai and Hashem gives him the two luchos ha'edos, the stones of testimony. Why is it called testimony, by the way? Because the only way, this is so fascinating, Friday night, at Kiddush, tomorrow night, God willing. So at Kiddush, we open up the Kiddush with a paragraph called Vayechulu Hashamayim Ha'aretz V'choltzvam, right? God completed the world um, on the seventh day. People think Hashem made the world in six days and He rested on the seventh. It's not what happened. Hashem made the world in seven days and He made rest on the seventh. Rest itself is a creation. Shabbos is a creation. Right, it's a it's a beautiful idea, where it's not like a lack of something. Unfortunately, people view Shabbos like it's a stoppage. It's not a stoppage. It's a creation of a beautiful life called rest, focus. It's be, it's, a, it's a beautiful idea, but the the luchos are called testimony because when we say Vayachulu, we're testifying that Hashem made the world. 
Let me ask you all a question here. How can we testify that Hashem made the world? Was anybody there? No. The fr- Adam and Chava were not created until Friday afternoon. So how do we know what happened during the first six days of creation? There was no witnessing. There was no testimony. The answer is, only when Hashem gave us the luchos, and we all witnessed the luchos being given, and in the luchos with Hashem's Torah, it says, I created the world in seven days. That's how we as Klal Yisrael know about creation. You hear this? Meaning, the main part of a Jew's emuna is based off of Harsinai. It's not based off of creation. Because it was at Harsinai that over three million people personally witnessed this piece of history. Within that history, it said how the seven days of creation were done. And therefore, we know that to be true. Because we witnessed it. That's why the tablets are called Luchos HaEidos. This is what we, as millions of people, witnessed. And by the way, that's why on Friday night, when you say the paragraph of Ayichulu HaShemayim, everyone has the custom to stand. Men, women, we all stand around the Shabbos table. Some people sit down for the blessings. There's different customs for that. But for the paragraph of Ayichulu, everybody stands. Men, women, children, because... We are testifying. In a court, a witness stands when they testify. You don't sit down when giving testimony. So, God willing, tomorrow night, we're going to be standing around our Shabbos table. Whoever's making Kiddush, whether it's us, whether it's somebody else, is going to say, Vayichulu, realize what's happening. This is, this is me standing here, testifying that you, Hashem, own the world. You, Hashem, are the creator of the world. That's why it's called Luchos Ha'idus. Okay. So, what, what did this verse say? It says, Hashem gave it to Moshe, kechaloso ledaber ito, when he, completed, uh, when he completed speaking with him. Okay, now listen to the medrash on this pasuk. This is amazing. Why did Moshe need to be up on Harsinai for 40 days? Why for 40 days? Is that how long it takes to learn Torah? Right? You think you could learn the whole Torah in 40 days? No, it's not possible. If, once it's not possible... And it was a miracle. So why didn't Hashem just give it to him in one day? It's a good question. If you can make a miracle, make a miracle. You asked the same question, by the way. When it came to the ark, when the flood was over, it took a year for the waters to recede. It took 12 months. It's 12 months. The waters across the globe cannot recede in 12 months. No way. It was a miracle. But once it's a miracle, why didn't Hashem just do it right away? Make it one day. No, the marble's over. Get rid of all the water, right? So there's different answers given. The, 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 you know, the accepted approach is something that we know, and that is all of Hashem's miracles come in a natural way. Even if Hashem's making a miracle, He kind of covers it over. And we know, we'll, we'll notice this in our own lives. Where Hashem wants us to notice Him. Instead of putting it right in our face, Hi, I'm here. Hashem will do miracles for us and hope that we notice Him. Like a little bit of modesty over here, right? 12 months, make it 12 months. It could look like nature. It doesn't make any sense that it's nature, right? How does that work? When my kids ask me where babies come from, you know what I ask them? You know what I say? I don't know. I really don't. How in the world do you get a child from that? It doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, a human being, a holy neshama, what? 
Okay, so we're like, oh, no, it's a miracle. But Hashem makes it look natural. It's nothing to do with nature. There's no way that, that this makes sense, that life makes sense according to nature, right? But that, this is the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, that's the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts it on the guy. I'll take a question in a moment, Linda. Just, just give me, let, let me just finish this idea. So the Medrash tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu taught the Torah to Moshe, ready? 40 times. Every day, it wasn't that it took 40 days for Moshe to learn the Torah. Hashem taught Moshe Torah every day, but at the end of the day, Moshe forgot it. It was too much for the, for the human brain to absorb, even, even Moshe Rabbeinu. And at the end of 40 days, says the Medrash, Moshe Rabbeinu had learned the entire Torah 40 times, and he still couldn't retain it. Says the Medrash, Hashem said to Moshe, you know what? I'm going to help you remember it. I'll give it to you as a present. It's a matana. It's a gift. Now, if Hashem's giving him a gift, give him a gift on day number one. Why are you wasting 39 more days? What are you waiting till day 44? Okay? You know who asked this question? The holy Alshech. The Alshech HaKadosh. From Tzvas. Asked this question a few hundred years ago. He asked this question. He says, if you're giving a gift, give right away. What are you, what are you holding off for? And he gives, a, gives two beautiful ideas that really connect. He says, first of all, you see from here that in order for a person to ever really acquire Torah, all it takes is a thirst, and then Hashem will give it to you as a gift. What Moshe showed, Torah is so deep and beyond our abilities to fathom, it's full grasp. So what, do, what is it? We're just learning something and we're scratching the surface? No. Hashem says, go search and search and search. And when I see you keep searching, you know what's going to happen? When you show me you're thirsty for it, I'll give it to you. That's when Hashem could say, I'll give you a gift. So it, took, it didn't take 40 days for him to remember it. It took 40 days for Moshe to show that he cared enough for Hashem to say, okay, now it's yours. You've acquired it. That's one part of the Alshech. Then the Alshech gives a second idea. And he says, he says that every time the Torah went through Moshe Rabbeinu's mind, he developed what we call Das Torah. And by the way, this Parsha is the source for Das Torah. We're going to see soon why. What does Das mean? Knowledge, Torah. People say, I consulted Das Torah. What does Das Torah mean? So when people say it means they consulted somebody who knows Torah. It's not what Das Torah is. Das Torah really not is how much you know. Das Torah means my mind is completely exercised to think in a way of Torah. You can have somebody who knows Torah, but they think like a non-Jew. They think like whatever. Like a, you know, a regular... Uh, academia. I just know a lot of Torah. Is that Das Torah? Because you have knowledge that makes Das Torah? No. Das Torah is, says the Alshech, the molding of the mind to think in the way of Torah. And when Moshe went through this process of 40 times in 40 days going through the Torah, his mind now worked in a Torah way, as we say. And now Hashem says, I can trust the Torah to you. He gives it to Moshe as a gift. When somebody is 
cares enough to only focus in and mold their minds in a way of Torah, Hashem says it's yours as a gift. Okay? So this is what it means. Hashem gave it to Moshe. That's what the words mean. He gave it. When he gave it, it was a present. He gave it to him as a gift. Okay. There's a, yeah, uh, uh, Linda wanted to share something. Go ahead. So it sounds like there's a clear distinction between Nisim that happened before Kriyas, uh, Kriyas, uh, um, Kabbalah's Torah, yeah. and after. So before, it's like the Nisim that happened were, were against Teva, like Kriyas Yamsa. Fair. Uh, and the and the Nisan that happened following Matan Torah is incorporated into Teva. It makes it look at least like nature. That is that would be a pretty fair assumption. There certainly were uh, Nisim Galuyim revealed miracles that took place after Matan Torah. You know that that certainly happened. The I mean, right before we entered the land of Israel, we had the Jordan River split for us. Right, there were miraculous things that uh, that that did happen. Um, then as well, but but uh, things certainly changed in how Hakadosh Baruch Hu relates to uh, you know relates to Klal Yisrael, and you could even say you know to a point where our whole existence as Jewish people, the Sfarim teach us, is really based up, is really based upon miracles, right? When it comes to Jews, there's no statistics. There's no statistics when it comes to Jews. It's different. It's a different element. When you have tefillah, when you have, and this is for anybody, anybody who davens, whether you're Jew or, Jew or not, right? When it com- but when it comes to davening, and particularly when a, when a, a, a yid who's zochet, who has the merit of being close, uh, of being the, we're all called the, the firstborn child, the apple of Hashem's eye. So there's a, there's a different element that he, that he deals with us in. It's a whole different, uh, it's a whole different element. Absolutely. Okay. Here you go. So I mean, so that's uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu. Let, let's just uh, wrap up this talk because we're getting short on time over here. So um, um, Moshe Rabbeinu now receives the luchos. Now here's the problem. You ready for this? And this is gonna. This is absolutely mind blowing. I want if anybody has a chumash in front of them, I, I, if, if we could just take a look inside. Listen, if, uh, follow along with this. Okay, where's Moshe right now? He's up in Shemayim. Hashem's giving him the tablets. So far, so good, right? So, as we follow? Now, listen to this. Skip to now, later on, in the beginning of Paraklamid Beis, verse 32. No, not skip, it's the very next Pasuk, right? So Hashem finishes talking to Moses, gives him the Luchos. Next verse, chapter 32, ready? 
People saw, we'll say it outside. Klaisal saw Moshe, was, it wasn't coming down. They thought it was going to come down a day earlier. They miscalculated. Okay, what do they do? They go to Aaron. They say, oh, we got to make a new, Moshe's gone. What are we going to do? We need somebody to represent us in front of Hashem. Well, let, let's go make a calf. Aaron says, no, you should wait till tomorrow. Okay, they say, no, we're not waiting. And they go and they sin with the golden calf. And that takes place in verse 4. They made a golden calf, a tremendous sin. And what they say, this is the God of, of Klai Yisrael, meaning this is like the new Moshe Rabbeinu. Oh, this calf is so powerful. Can you imagine? Where's Moshe? Follow. I just want to share this. Follow. Moshe's up in Shemayim and we're sinning. Okay. The verses continue, the puzzle continues, Aaron sees, he says, okay, it's going to be a yomtif. They wake up the next morning, they bring peace offerings. And how does verse 6 end, Pasuk Vav end? They sit, they, they sit down and, they, and they, they start sporting around. Levity, lightheadedness, again, keep in mind, where's Moshe? In Shamayim. What's taking place? The people are sinning. What happens in verse 7? Pasuk Zayin, by Dabr Shamosha Lechre, Hashem says, Go down, Kishichez Amcha. Your, your nation is sinning. Look what, they, look what they're doing. And if you keep reading through the Psukim, they're sinning. They made a calf. I said, You should not turn away from me. Don't make idols. Verse 11. Moshe turns to God and he says, He turns to Hashem and he says, Why are you so angry? You took us out of Mitzrayim. What do, you, uh, what do you want from them? Hold off your anger. Please reconsider what you're doing. Don't do anything bad to Klausro. Remember, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. You're, you promised them. They're offering you like the stars of the heaven and earth. Pasuk 14, Pasuk Yedalid. Vayinochem Hashem. God was comforted, was, at, was appeased. Al on the bed, Ashib Lastaham. He says, okay, fine. I forgive them. Verse 15. Moshe comes down from the mountain with holding the luchos. The luchos were made from Hashem. And he starts hearing the sound of people dancing around the golden calf. He gets closer. And he sees what's happening. Verse 19. He sees the calf. And he gets upset and he breaks the luchos. All right, let's pause here in the story. Moshe's in heaven. Hashem says, look down. Looks down. He said, God says, you see what's happening? They're done. Moshe says, Hashem, be Michael, be Michael, be Michael. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Come on. And what does Hashem say? Okay, forgiven. We're still sinning. Do you understand? If, what's happening in the story? Klal Yisrael is in the middle of dancing around the ego and Hashem has already forgiven us. And we're still dancing around. This is mind-blowing. But this is how HaKadosh Baruch Hu works. Why? Because Moshe says, look at what they're made of. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. I know their, says Moshe, I know their actions do not represent who they are. But realize, Hashem, that you know that this is not who they are. If this is who they are, I agree with you, so to speak. Okay? 
If this is what they, if this is what they are, fine. But you know that even though they're in the middle of the Avera, this is just a big mistake that they're making, but they're made of much better stuff than that. And Hashem says, I know you're right, and therefore, I'll for- and therefore I've already forgiven them. Isn't that so precious in how Hashem deals with us? But what's fascinating is, after Moshe stands up for us, you know what he does as our leader? He comes down and he breaks the luchos. He doesn't let us get away with it. He doesn't say, oh, your actions don't matter because you're really made of better stuff. No, he says there's still accountability. And he breaks the luchos. Now, why did he break the luchos? Why did he break the luchos? So we'll end with this. The Medrash tells us that as Moshe was about to throw it down, Aaron and the Zakanim, Aaron and the elders, tried to hold, grab onto it. And they told him not to break it. Why? They said, because what about Kiruv? What about outreach? The Jewish people never had the Torah yet. Granted, they're sitting, give them the Luchos, and everything will be great. They'll learn some Torah, whip them into shape. They'll know, they'll, they'll know exactly what to do and uh, Shalom Al Yisrael. Everything will, uh, everything will be amazing. That was Aaron and the Zakanim's claim. To which Moshe Rabbeinu responds with such an important message. And he says, Torah does not work like that. Doesn't work like that. Torah is helpful to people who care about it. Who are ready to listen to it. Who are ready to soak it in. And if I have a nation here, says Moshe, that they think they can dance around the golden calf and take the Torah in at the same time, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It doesn't work like that. Which is interesting because this is, this is a, a, such a beautiful psychology in Moshe as our leader understanding what we need as a people. To Hashem, as our representative, he says, Hashem, you know they're made of better stuff. You know that. And then he comes down and he looks at us. And he says, but guys, gals, this can't go on. To have Torah at the same time, you got the calf, not happening. And he breaks it. He overcame Aaron and the Zakanim academically and physically. And what Hashem said to him, Yashur Kayach. You know why Hashem said, Yashikayach? I'm going to take this back to the beginning of our shir today. And you know what that is? Hashem said, it took 40 days for your mind to be molded to think like me. That's what the 40 days did for Maishu Rabbeinu. Hashem didn't tell him to break the luchos. These were irreplaceable. How would he know? He doesn't know. How does he know? Because he had Das Torah. He knew what Hashem wanted from him. That's that story. He knows what Hashem wants. And therefore, Aaron could have his thing, legitimate claim. The Zikadim have their thing, legitimate claim. But they don't have the Das Torah that Moshe has of what is the best thing for Klal Yisrael at this time. And once we got rid of the golden calf, what Moshe do as our, as our holy leader? He went back up. He got another one for us. All right. The first one's not replaceable. But he says... Okay, now we're ready for it. But to bring it down at the same time, it's not going to work. That's, that's, uh, that's how this whole, this whole idea really uh, comes around uh, to create one big, uh, beautiful concept, one beautiful picture. Okay, we'll hold it here for today. Have a wonderful Shabbos, everybody. Thank and uh, all the best. Can I-